following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Well, here's a here's an amazing story, but I thought it would be well worth our time to consider it. Life lately has been very hectic, and I found myself running around being kept extremely busy with work, so much so that I've been neglecting my husband, Sam. The third new restaurant I was opening was nearly ready, and as the opening night drew closer, the length of time I spent seemed to increase. Each night I would have to drag myself back to our small apartment, only to find my dear husband fast asleep. Although that night before our grand opening I had finished earlier than usual, it was still late when I arrived at our apartment expected to find my husband again sound asleep. As, my, as I made my way along the hallway, not wanting to disturb Sam, I suddenly became aware of muted voices coming from the bedroom. Suddenly I felt something soft beneath my feet. Bending down slowly, I lifted the soft material and a waft of exotic perfume emanated from it. It was a dress! And not just any dress, but that veritable little black number, and obviously a slim woman, as it seemed like it was two dress sizes smaller than mine. Without thinking, I turned and ran and slammed the outer door shut behind me. I had no idea where I was going, but when I looked around, I was standing by the riverbank with my mind in a whirl. My husband, my adorable Sam, was having an affair. He had found another woman, the one who was younger and slimmer than me. I had become too busy. Perhaps Sam had gotten bored with me never being home. He had found someone new, and I knew I couldn't blame him for doing so. I had been neglecting him for all these years. I felt that I might as well be dead. I looked at the river. Perhaps I shouldn't end it all here and now. Suddenly, out of the darkness, there were people running and shouting, Run! I shouted, Why? They said, The dam is broken. The dam has broken its banks. Get to higher ground, quick. Then it hit me, the restaurant. It was at the top of the hill. I would be safe there. I was only partway up the hill when I stumbled and fell. A strong pair of arms gently enclosed me and lifted me up to my feet. Thank God you are safe, the man said. As I looked up, I found my husband standing there, encouraging me to get up and run. Never before had I been so glad to see him. Finally, at the restaurant, I instructed the head restaurant head waiter to unlock the doors of the restaurant and to let the people standing around go in. I heard a commotion as someone burst into the restaurant calling Sam's name. As I turned, I saw Thomas, my husband's best friend, a U.S. Marine who had just returned from a tour in the Middle East, talking adamantly. Then I noticed next to Thomas, and holding his hand tight, was his wife, wearing a little black dress and smelling of a perfume I recognized. He had asked Sam to double date with us that night, unbeknownst to me. According to Thomas, they got very tired of waiting and got to celebrating on their own. The relief I felt at the news was overwhelming, and I had to turn away quickly before I burst into tears. My mind was in a whirl. My husband had not been unfaithful. He had not found someone else new after all. As I stood there trying to control my emotions, I felt those familiar strong arms slowly entwine themselves around me. It will be okay, I heard my husband say in my ear. We can sort this mess out and be ready for tonight's party. 
Slowly I turned and looked into Sam's eyes, and shaking my head, I said, No, we will postpone it until the end of the week. Sam just nodded in agreement before gently kissing me. I love you, I said, and he finally moved away from my lips. I know, he replied, and I love you too. Let's go home. Well, that's an amazing short story of uh, one in particular feature that happens too often in our human existence. It's called misunderstanding. And when we think about a misunderstanding, it's almost always because we as human beings, we jump to conclusions. And we jump to our conclusions because of certain reasons that we all have probably been too familiar with already. Something has offended us. Somewhere along the line, we have a value system that says, here are standards, and I not only live them by myself, but I expect everybody around me to understand what those standards are. And if those standards are violated, I get emotionally reactive. That's a part of us being human beings. As long as we are human misunderstandings will always find themselves into our life somehow, some way, and oftentimes with those with whom we are closest. We jump to conclusions because something has taken us by surprise. We did not want it. We did not expect it. We do not like it. It's not a part of anything we would ever determine or initiate on our own. And when somebody else does it and somebody else is involved with it, we emotionally react and the eruption is oftentimes incredibly volatile. Why do we jump to conclusions? We interpret our limited information through the grid of our own biases. And for some reason, we think we know everything in order to come to a conclusion that our judgment is always going to be sound. Why in the world do we address this whole particular issue? Because sometimes those circumstances that lead to misunderstandings fester into something not just so that there's anger, not just so that there's emotional disappointment, but sometimes those misunderstandings actually fester into something that we would use that four-letter word, ugly. Misunderstandings fester into something ugly. They do that because somebody did something. It's almost always because of people. It's not just because of circumstances. Misunderstandings occur because something ugly has happened with someone we know. It's another person or a group of people, someone with whom we have a relationship. It might be something that they said. It may not even be about performance. It may not just be because because of an activity, but because somebody said something might be all that's necessary for a misunderstanding to occur. It's not something, uh, not, not, or something somebody did not say. We were expecting them to respond, and because they forgot, they overlooked it, and somehow our expectations and our demands were not met, something that somebody did not say can lead us to this point of an ugly, festering misunderstanding. Well, when we think about this whole business of putting all these things together, we do not act wisely when we get sideways with someone. And probably in your minds, you're starting to think already of one of those kinds of situations, or somebody with whom we had a trusting relationship, somebody that we enjoyed their relationship with us, as we engaged one another, those were all good times. All of a sudden we find ourselves sideways with one another. We don't like it, it feels uncomfortable, we can't think straight. And oftentimes those are the kinds of situations that only takes a moment in order for this difficulty of a misunderstanding to occur, and it takes a long time for that misunderstanding to ever be worked out. 
It is inevitable that misunderstandings happen, but we are not prepared to act appropriately. Today's lesson hopefully will help us to understand how these things occur and maybe the very first steps that we can take in order to rectify those kinds of misunderstandings. For some of us, if we can think about those who are closest to us and the misunderstandings that we have with our wife, with our children, with our co-workers, with our supervisor or those that we supervise, as we engage the lives of other people, those kinds of misunderstandings are never planned, they're never really wanted, certainly oftentimes we don't even expect them, but somehow they almost always visit our lives somehow, some way. Well, holy misunderstandings. In our study here of the book of Joshua in chapters 21 and 22, we have one of the great lessons on misunderstandings among people. People who had a trusting relationship, who made large assumptions with one another, but somehow those assumptions are now going to be set aside as they engage one another emotionally, almost always overreact, and as a result of that overreaction, put themselves in a situation where difficult future consequences could actually be realized if they are not careful. Well, we start with our study here, the last part of chapter 21 in verses 43 to 45, and some very special moments here are laid as a foundation in which people almost always relax when there are spiritual blessings that occur and God makes his amazing presence known and everybody's enjoying a unity where God has given to us huge blessings. This oftentimes is a moment when we have to realize, be careful and don't overreact if our assumptions about the lies and the practice of others doesn't measure up to what I expect. First of all, in this amazing sense of this foundation, all the Lord's promises have been fulfilled. For the nation of Israel, at this particular juncture in the history of the nation of Israel, this is a very special moment. A declaration here, not only by the leadership of the nation of Israel, but also here in inspired scripture. Up until this point, every promise that God has made to the nation of Israel has been fulfilled. Now, gentlemen, this is a pretty special moment. If this is a universal that God is saying, everything that he has promised is now up to date. That is a very special, climactic moment in the life of the history of Israel. And for any individual who's starting to realize that they've been working on the basis of the promises that God had made to the nation. Every one of those promises has been fulfilled. Very possible and maybe likely for a number of you that's probably true as you think about the promises that God has made you and maybe you're on the floating on cloud nine because of all the the issues that you've presented before the Lord. Uh, I'm with DTS Houston and uh, all of the people at DTS were in that mode right now. We just finished commencement. We just finished grades. We just finished posting all of the statements that we're going to be doing for this coming fall. All of our major responsibilities are done. We could sit back, relax, and take a deep breath. This is one of those special moments in academia that we all love. The students are graduated. Sure, they're still in debt, but that's not our problem. That's theirs. (laughs) As long as they can keep paying on those, our salaries can continue coming in. Just joking. But it's a great time of year for all of us in academia. We love it when our students have now completed their tasks and are now looking forward to the next step that God has for them. Our major responsibilities and our contracts are all complete. We can take a breath, 
relax, and several of us are actually taking time off. Very, very exciting to see God bring everything to a wonderful conclusion. This is the beginning. This is something new. Now the nation of Israel can start what they've always been looking for. The land is going to be given to them. The allotment is very, very clear. They have neighbors that are part of them as a body, as the nation of Israel. They can now trust God. Now that they have this new beginning in chapter, things are going to be really looking up for the nation of Israel and for all its people. God has a perfect track record. He has not failed even once, even though the people that the nation of Israel has been engaged in. Several of those have had missteps along the way. But as far as God's provision to the nation of Israel, primo, 100% accurate, he has been pristine. God's character has proven flawless. Not just what he's done, not just what he's said, but now his character is 100% trustworthy. Think about that relationship that you have with the people around you that are closest to you. You look at your wife or you think about your girlfriend or the person who's the closest to you. Man, oh man, I can't think of another human being in this world that I trust more than that human being. After we're done here, you're going to go to work and you're thinking, I have probably the greatest supervisor that any human being could possibly have. Huge, immense trust. He's never said anything, never done anything in order to stumble me. And I, in reverse, have given that person immense loyalty. There's a great sense where all those kinds of things put us in a situation just like the nation of Israel is experiencing here. They are a people who are anticipating nothing but good things. Expectations, whenever they include people, can never be as flawless as our hope. Our expectations, whenever they involve people, can never be as flawless as our personal hope. So all of us have our hope couched in who God is and what he means to us. He never fails us. But sometimes we put so much of our confidence and certainty in him that we forget that we're dealing with flawed people who still have a sinful nature. And we also have a memory that goes back to moments when we've had close encounters with massive failure because of how life and circumstances have gone in our spiritual pursuit. When we come to this next juncture, as we go from chapter 21 to 22, in the first eight verses, there is this amazing moment that in this specialness of all things coming to a conclusion, it's a great time to remember certain fundamentals and certain issues that are very important for the nation of Israel. So the scripture says to the people, scriptures is written down here for them, make sure as now you're about to scatter and take your portion that God has given you. Keep the commandment of the law. Whatever governs your personal choices and values that drive your commitments, keep them. That's one of the great charges when things are going well. When blessings are a major part of our life and all the difficulties seem to be in our past and at least are, are silent, Make sure we refresh this whole idea of what our personal choices are all about. Driven by our commitments and our values, keep God's command at the forefront of all the choices that we make. Second, love the Lord your God. This is priority number one. That's what this scripture is talking about. It's a matter of priorities. Don't take your eyes off of what's most important by thinking that now that things are going so well, I can focus my attention on earthly results. Joshua 22 says, don't do that. 
when blessings are there, make sure that we keep our priority of our personal passions at the highest level. Third, walk in all his ways. Our routine is very, very important that in times of blessings, what we do on an average regular day still reflects the choices of our commitments and our values. Don't just refresh those in times of trial, but in times of great blessing, refresh those values. Fourth, obey his commands. That obedience is a matter of our trust from the standpoint of the choices that we make. Our obedience is our common reaction to our daily plans. A lot of us are probably the same. I got a little function on my computer that talks about all my plans and my values and my responsibilities for the day. And I'm checking that three or four times during the day, but I usually check it the day before so that when I come into my office, one of the first things I do is call up that particular list. It has the priorities and plans of things I need to accomplish. Same thing what the scripture is doing here in number four. Obey his commands. Not just do what you want. Don't just get focused on celebrating. But even when blessings are dominating our routine, make sure that we obey his commands. Our routine is governed by those particular issues. Number five, hold fast to him. In that particular juncture of uh, this moment of enjoying blessing, there is something that continues on even in a time of blessing that was there very present in a time of trial and testing. And that is our tenacity. If we are tenacious people, it means that we are people sold out to our faith. That no matter whether it's in times of trial or times of blessings, we will hold fast to our faith. That's what this scripture is saying. Hold fast to him. Our tenacious spirit is reflective of what we believe is most important to us. And lastly, serve him. It's a matter of others, not about ourselves. I don't deserve this. I'm not going to take a breath so I can now relax and now get entangled with all the things I find selfish. The book of Joshua tells us, number six in this whole point of trying to go through times of blessings, is still taking this time to benefit the life of somebody else, either our Lord by glorifying him, or the lives of people that I can energize because of my involvement with them. With all our heart and with all our soul. That is what the scripture is telling us. Now that's the context. God has been faithful. He's fulfilled all his promises. Here's how we engage God's faithfulness in our life in times of blessing. Six tremendous reminders of how to live our life of faith. It's in that context that we have one of the great lessons in scripture about misunderstanding that comes from the lives of people. So the two and a half tribes uh, go to the other side of the River Jordan where Moses has given them an allotment of their land. And on their way back, after they've gone with the blessing of Joshua and the leaders of the nation of Israel, the nation is celebrating. They've gotten commendation from their leader. When they leave and they're out of sight, they act on their own, not independent from the standpoint of them trying to violate any of the promises that they have already made with the nation of Israel. But out of hearing range... And out of explanation range, when communication has not been made clear, they decide that they're going to build an altar right there by the river. And it's not just a small little thing. It is an imposing altar that they build. It can be seen from a long ways away. Now, with this imposing altar that they build, it is amazing that we have this personal confrontation by the nation of Israel. In this confrontation, this is where misunderstandings begin. 
they ask, that is the other tribes on the, on the western side of the River Jordan, they hear about this altar, this imposing altar that the two and a half tribes of Israel have built. They don't say, hey, that's kind of a neat piece of construction. Tell us about it. You didn't tell us this before. Some of the people have informed us that you've done this. We, we want you to know, we think your architecture here is absolutely brilliant. Nothing positive. They could tell what it was. They did not ask for an explanation. But everything was driven by assumption. Gentlemen, let's remember, misunderstandings happen with the best of motives, but happen because assumptions lead the way in our confrontation. So they simply asked, how could you break faith? They didn't ask about the actions. They didn't ask about the results. They didn't ask the reasons. They made an assumption. And in their assumptions, who in their right mind receiving that kind of question, which was really a declaration, not be personally offended or taken back, when those with whom you just shared this great moment of unity somehow now get into your faith, and get into your face and assume that you have done something tragically, spiritually wrong. Assumptions drive us to the brink of the beginning of misunderstanding. How could you turn away? There was this assumption of a choice that they have made to turn their back on the Lord who has kept all his promises to us. Notice the name of God that's used here. The Lord all capital letters, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God who makes promises and keeps them. He is fresh and up to date with all his promises fulfilled to us. And now this God who's fulfilled all his promises to us, you have chosen to turn away from him. Now that's not only an accusation, but that's also a huge conclusion by judgment on the lives of other people. Well, the uh, two and a half tribes are actually taken back and they give a very powerful, clear defense. So listen to this. So just in case you ever run into one of those moments through a misunderstanding, you know that your spirit is genuine and clear. You're sincere. There's nothing as far as fault on your your behalf. Notice how they respond. They don't respond to the insult. They don't react to the emotional accusation. Instead, they just simply say, Hey, hey, I don't know what you're talking about, but I know that the Lord knows what I have done. And the Lord, this same God, who makes promises and keeps them, this God knows my motives for all that I have done. That also gives all the other tribes a chance to pause before they draw their swords. They have come to the two and a half tribes ready for war. They've come to wipe out the two and a half tribes. There is obviously some baggage that causes the misunderstanding and the assumption. But the nation of Israel knows what it's like when we disobey God, when we show disfavor to him, when we are unfaithful to him, we as an entire nation experience the judgment of God. And so even though they had this happy moment of, yeah, God's been 100% faithful to us. Yeah, let's commit ourselves to these six particular issues that drive our values. Hey, God has blessed you guys for being faithful and coming with us to help us gain our land. Now you go off with our blessing. Three points of positive interaction to demonstrate the unity. And now without ever in a conversation, these other tribes go there and ready to kill these guys because of a misunderstanding driven by assumption that never had any communication that was involved with it. 
They react and say, hey, we don't know what you're doing with those swords and your hand's on your sword and the shield's up and all your fighting men here. But the Lord knows and we are confident of the Lord's involvement with whatever we have done. We haven't set him aside. We haven't turned our backs on him. In fact, he's at the primo front end of all that we are doing. And so they repeat the phrase, and repetition is one of the greatest friends of truth. Repetition is one of the greatest friends of truth. And so they simply say the most important thing here. The Lord knows. The God who makes promises and keeps them, he knows. There is no more talking but they just simply say this was so that God is part of our life and memory. We don't want to forget what God has given to us. There's an amazing sense where the priorities of those six promises and statements of their commitment, this is what the two and a half tribes agreed on. And this is now an expression of what it's all about. Well, there are assumptions, and that's a very, very important word for us to remember in our lesson today. Assumptions lead to bad decisions. And there was a time when a person can think about that if you can look upon this uh, grisly old face. Go to the person with whom you have an issue. Check your facts before you ever engage an opponent. Never make decisions based upon assumptions. Lighthearted humor drives a point home. Those four great lessons are part of this Winston Churchill story. During the latter part of his political career, publicly he showed up at a gathering where there are a lot of the um, ministers present. And he sat in the front row, which was a place of honor that was given to him as he made his way in with his cane and sat down with a significant amount of effort. There are a couple of young MPs that are sitting a couple rows behind him and talking quite loudly, saying things like, hey, look who's here, it's the old man Churchill. Everyone is saying that he's way past his prime. People say that he should step aside for the new leadership. Others say that he's lost more than his step and they're laughing derisively at this one great leader of the United Kingdom. At the end of the program, the first one to stand up at the conclusion was Churchill himself. As he stands up, he doesn't walk out, but instead he slowly turns and faces these two young MPs. And he says to them, without any introduction or apology, without any hesitation, no stuttering. He says to them, eyeball to eyeball. They also say that he's gone deaf. There are assumptions that people make that lead us into a point of misunderstanding. And if we act on our assumptions and truths that are not really factual, but just based upon our own assumptions, then we get into that awful human interaction called misunderstandings. So maybe you're here this morning and you've had some regrets. Maybe you've already had some words or some thoughts, some judgments about someone close to you and And you're coming here thinking, man, I just wish I didn't have my day begin like this. And why in the world did they feel that way? And why in the world did they do that? And why in the world did they say that? Why didn't they do this? And so we're frustrated a little bit by being here. But for some reason, this passage of Scripture, one of the finest illustrations of misunderstandings of human faults being displayed before us can remind us that we are part of that scenario as well. We're part of that equation called misunderstanding. The first thing perhaps that we should remember is we should avoid at least the obvious sins. When somehow assumption leads the way and we are now at odds or finding ourselves being turned sideways to someone that we are close to, we should at least avoid gossip. Gossip is being a part of a conversation when we are neither part of the problem or part of the solution. 
We're spectators who are passing judgment on an issue that we have no reason to be meddling in whatsoever. We should avoid the sin of slander. Slander in the Bible makes it very clear when we speak words in the hearing of somebody else and because of what we say causes somebody else to have a lesser opinion of someone who is absent. That's not just joining in on a water cooler conversation. That's slander. And God says slander is always sin. We who are in pursuit of righteousness, who want to make a positive spiritual impact on the city of Houston, our influence is not going to be very highly regarded if other people watch us jump in on the gossip and jump in on the slander. We don't take the high road when it comes to conversation. Our righteousness doesn't have a whole lot of practical benefit in its influence in the lives of other people. So when we feel ourselves or sense ourselves wandering into this world of misunderstanding, let's at least avoid the obvious sins. Another obvious sin is the issue of doubt. And amazingly enough, doubt is the weakening of faith in the lives of others. And that is exclusively the tactic, exclusively the tactic of Satan. The devil is the only one in the scripture who uses the sense of doubt in order to gain any kind of ground. And unless we're an emissary of the the devil and of Satan himself, let's not practice casting doubt in the minds of other people in order to gain an end that we are interested in. That is sin, is the work of the evil one. Disparaging words. You ever notice how this whole lesson on misunderstanding finds itself constantly going back to the issue of conversation? The words that we speak, the words that others speak, our reaction to their words, their reaction to our words, our assumptions that drive the words that we speak, the assumption that others have that drive their accusations that they make against us. If we could see that one of the greatest things that God says that righteousness manifests itself in is our area of conversation, we would be doing well. Character, conduct, and conversation, those three C's, they are a huge part of how our righteousness takes its practical daily benefit of expressing itself in the schedule of our days. Character, conduct, conversation. This particular issue of misunderstanding camps itself on number three. There was a young attorney up in Dallas who uh, was really talented, and he was one of the youngest people in his uh, legal firm. And uh, he loved everything about it. He loved his colleagues. He loved the work that he'd been given. He loved his uh, legal preparation. He loved the work at that he was doing on a regular basis. He just loved everything about his his chosen profession. The only thing he hated about being an attorney at this particular firm was Christmas time because it wasn't Christmas, but they they had the senior partner would always come in and into the conference room and he'd have a big mountain of turkeys and everybody who worked for the firm from the the youngest and the, 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 the least paid employee who passed out the mail to the to the highest level partner. They were all there. The room was packed. And he would call these people up one at a time by their name, and according to his assistant who would whisper in his ear who was next, and he would say some words of appreciation and tremendous contribution that this person had to the firm. And at the climax of his great words of oratory, he would then uh, accept the uh, frozen turkey from his assistant, and he would hand the turkey to, to this individual that he just lauded. And uh, he always hated that because it was his turn to come up every year and he'd smile and be very polite and the senior partner would be giving all these great words and he appreciated that, but he just didn't like the focus of the light being shined on, shown on him. But he'd always accept this turkey and one of the reasons he didn't like it was 
He was single and he didn't have any family close by. So what's he going to do with this monster turkey? And so every year he'd try to figure out what in the world to do with this thing. And all of his colleagues knew he didn't like it. He didn't know what to do. And it was probably the biggest challenge to, to handle this thing. So his friends decided to play a trick on him. And they made this paper mache turkey. And they filled it with uh, some heavy stuff like a couple of bricks and some lead. And they packaged it all up and they froze it. And they made sure that the assistant knew which turkey to give him. So he, they saw him squirming in there. He's waiting for his turn. His senior partner calls him up and says all these wonderful things. And he's smiling and being polite. And the, uh, the, the assistant gives the senior partner the appropriate turkey and weighs like a, a real turkey and looks like a real frozen turkey. And senior partner hands it to the young man. And he, he gladly accepts it and smiles and looks at it. And all his friends are out there kind of giggling and laughing. And so this, this young attorney has his frozen turkey in a bag, and he's, he's on the bus going home, and he's thinking, man, what am I going to do with the turkey this year? And he's sitting next to a guy who's, who's kind of disheveled and looks a little sad. He says, hey, this is Christmas, so you should be a little more cheerful. And the guy says, well, I lost my job a, m- a month and a half ago, and all our savings are gone, and the kids are going to have the worst Christmas ever. And we just don't even hardly have two nickels to rub together. And the attorney thinks to himself, man, man, oh, man, this is going to be the best thing ever. And he doesn't want to give the guy the turkey because he doesn't want to insult his integrity. So he says, hey, I've got this great turkey here, and I'm all by myself. I have nothing, to, no, no one to share it with. I'll tell you what I'll do. He says, you give me any, any, whatever money you have on you right now, and I'll sell you the turkey for whatever you've got. And the man says, oh, no, you can't do that. And the guy says, no, really, I want to do that. Your, your story really touched me. And the man was just bright-eyed, and he pulled out the, what he had, a few bucks that he had in his wallet and some change, and he handed all this to the guy, and the guy handed him the turkey. And the young man felt so good, and the other man thought, this is going to be a great, great joy for my family. Thank you so much. You, you, you just be blessed. And after the Christmas season, they all, all the attorneys got back, and they couldn't wait to hear what their young partner had to say. And they say, hey, how was your Christmas? He says, oh, it was the best Christmas ever. Yeah, what would you do with that big turkey? He says, oh, that was a big part of the best Christmas ever. He said, what do you mean? And he told them the story, and all of them were standing there totally white, and lost all sense of color. And they said, oh no. And they told him that the trick that they had played on him. And that day and that night and all the next day, the entire firm scoured the entire city, went on all the buses. They could not find the man that he had sold the bogus turkey to. You talk about misunderstanding, assumptions, and the things that that man and the family were saying about this young attorney building in all the biases that attorneys have anyway. And what an amazing lesson. I've never forgotten that when I read the story. Whenever people are together, and whenever there are assumptions that are made, without all the facts, it leads us to a point of one of those horrible human experiences called misunderstanding. And gentlemen, if you don't have enough already in your past, you'll have plenty in your future. It just comes with the territory of engaging people. But here, one of the great lessons, affirm what your faith is all about and never act on the basis of assumption. But when assumption comes in an accusation toward you, know that if you followed those six commitments, the first thing you can do is saying, hey, the Lord knows my heart and motive. And repeat it because the best friend of truth is repetition. And let the Lord lead your way so that we don't get sideways permanently with those with whom we have a close, intimate relationship.
Joshua 21 and 22, one of the greatest lessons in the entire Bible about human misunderstanding and how to get through it. Have a great time with your table talk. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.